Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Foreplay Radio Sex Therapy with your host, Lori Watson, sex therapist and author of Wanting Sex Again, and my co-host, Dr. Adam Matthews, couples counselor. Today, we are going to be talking about how to tell your children about sex. This is going to be a great topic, and you can find us anytime on iTunes at Foreplay Radio Sex Therapy or Stitcher, or you can send us a question if you like on the web, which is www.foreplayrst.com. And we'd love to hear from you about what you want us to talk about anytime. And Lori, I am just excited about what we're talking about today. Yes. Personally, because I'm right in it. So that's right. I have, You're telling your children about sex. That's right. I My have children a seven, are probably having sex. <laughs> I have a seven-year-old, almost eight-year-old, and uh, we are just in the midst of talking actively about what and how we are going to talk to her yeah. about this topic. So I want to be a learner today. I'm, oh, I just good, I want good. to listen and help you let me figure out what what we're supposed to do. Okay, how we're I, supposed to do it. You know, I think that this is such an interesting thing that this incredibly human, wonderful experience becomes the parents most anxiety provoking experience, right? Well, even if you know that it's not supposed to be, you know, like both me and my wife are therapists and we talk about sex all the time and then we start thinking about what we're going to say to our <laughs> daughter and we just like that's that's true it just rises right in the pit of our stomach like i can i can feel all that anxiety especially when they just catch you off guard with questions like in our uh-huh. head it's a sit down conversation we're going to it's this big moment big event and for us often my wife just had a baby and so we get questions from the eight-year-old and the four-year-old about oh, how exactly perfect. how how that baby got perfect. in there. And also about, <laughs> I think my four-year-old asked her the other day, why in the world would our son look like me at all? How does that, yeah, how does how that, does that make, work? How does that when, make sense? When it came from mommy. That's right. When it came from <laughs> mommy and the baby just got in there somehow. Yeah. How does it work? So like... It's it but is see, it's anxiety you, producing. You are in the midst of those perfect questions. Yeah, I, I mean that is absolutely when I started talking to my kids about sex was, you know, I was pregnant and my older ones were asking about, you know, well, how did that baby get there? Mm-hmm. I, I remember my oldest son said, "Yeah, I I know there's an egg and a sperm, but how does the egg and the sperm get there? Yeah. You know, which is like the question, right? Yeah. It's the leading question that you want your kid to ask so you can tell them. Tell them about how that works. Well, and then, like, that's just the reproductive part of it. 
Right. Yes. And that's yes. not even talking about the pleasure part of it or how to do that well or how to connect well. Like that's just even <laughs> that just doesn't even I can't even I can't even make that compute in my head right now right. thinking about my thinking about right. my daughter and talking to her about that. And also try not to abdicate that role and give it over to my wife completely and just yeah. say, here, you take, oh, you take absolutely. that. Absolutely. I think yeah. daddies have to have a say, too. Yeah, and that's right. should have a say because they have so much to contribute. Yeah. And so many times I think we relegate the talk of the birds and the bees to the parent of the same gender. Yeah. Right? And, you know, because we think it'll be awkward. But I think the opposite gender has something to say, too. And you know, th- there's lots of things that they need to learn from us about it. I I would just felt like it was a natural conversation. And mm-hmm. that's what I want to talk about today is that I think it ought to be something that we just weave into conversation. It's a conversation throughout yeah. their childhood that it's not one moment. Yes. You know, I it's think that's not key. the big talk. Yeah. It's a talk that happens spontaneously and it happens intentionally. And there are certain times that we need it to happen intentionally. So Yeah, and certain times that we're, it can just be a part of our relationship with our kids rather than this one big event. I know you said something to me that really changed my thinking about oh, this. Good. And I, I want you to talk about it okay. a little bit more. And that was when we were talking about this before, thinking about the idea that my kid, once I had this conversation, that she was going to lose something, that she was yeah. going to lose her yeah, innocence, that, that she was going to, um, that it was going to burst something something for her right like it was i was burst I, her innocence yeah in some like way like i was in the same way of like telling her telling her that there's no santa claus yeah. right, was gonna do right, <laughs> right. um and this you, is the opposite no santa claus <laughs> that's talk, right adam that's right this that is, there is an orgasm <laughs> come yes, on yes, come on yes it's a good thing there's presence there <laughs> yeah there's there it's real right. um and you said you said something about of looking at it as not as a curse that we're inflicting on our children, but rather looking at it as a gift that we're giving them. Yeah. And that really began to change my thinking. I'm wondering if you can just say some more about that and how you're, how you're thinking well, about that. I mean, I think that what I heard from you was all this angst about, oh, yeah. you know, the fear. And, and so many parents do approach the conversation of, I'm opening the door to something where my child could get hurt. I mean, we know there's um, heartbreak, right? I mean, that mm-hmm. this is about love and romance and giving yourself and getting your heart broken. And and then there's the fears of molestation and oh, violation yeah. and rape. And I mean, it's like there are terrible things having to do with sexual touch also that we worry about as parents. Yeah, well, wouldn't and those are we've actually had those conversations with our kids about uh-huh. pro- trying to protect them from against touch, which is okay, an ironic okay, thing. But and I I'm going to tell the other parents out there how to do it right. No, that's I'm kidding. That, well, I, no, I know, and I think that that started <laughs> to change my thinking because we need to separate those conversations. Do you think those are separate conversations, I, or you I think do, they're, they're? And, and I, I really feel strongly that the first conversation, the first messages, have to be about pleasure and joy yeah. and love. You know, that this is something delightful and wonderful and the gift, you know, so that there's a context and then there's this tiny little shadow over here. But so many parents think, okay, I I don't want to tell my children about sex because their fear, right? If I tell my children, their minds are going to be thinking about it and then they'll be promiscuous. Then they're going to want to experiment. You know, it's such a temptation. 
But but children are at different developmental ages. They don't think about it in that way. Mm. And I, I mean, I think really the conversation starts in infancy. I mean, yeah. we lay down when we're taking care of our children, we're changing their diaper, we're looking at them and gooing at them. We lay down a capacity for intimacy. The mother holding the baby, you know, that perfect distance from the crook of her elbow to her eyes you know, that gaze distance actually mm. lays down the sense of self-esteem. And and because babies are their bodies, mm. you know, they are one with the body still. They think of themselves as intrinsically good when they feel that smiling face, that warm sunshine. And I know that sounds crazy, but those really are the beginnings of the touch, the sense of giving them that that love comes physically and that their needs, which are many physical needs, hunger, need to be changed, they're wet, need to be held, all of that, that we, we tell them it's good when we meet those needs. Yeah, and so that you're saying that begins to become almost a foundation of emotional intimacy, which is a foundation of physical intimacy as well. And yeah, so, I, right. I mean, the body and the mind are just one at that point. Yeah. And I, I think, too, you know, those are the years that we're starting to name parts of the body. It's like forehead, nose, chin, penis, clitoris, vagina, vulva, yeah. vagina. Yeah, I mean, we, we actually need to say all the right words. And you know, babies reach down, they touch themselves. And I mean, many parents get real anxious about that. Oh, yeah. I mean, first of all, they're changing it, maybe a dirty diaper. And they're like, oh, wait, 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 don't put your hands there. Yeah. You know, but many times they're not changing a dirty diaper and parents are still anxious about a child reaching for their genitals. But the children are just kind of exploring their bodies, yeah. you know, trying to touch everything. And it turns out that touching their genitals feels good, you know, uh, and that's surprise. natural. Surprise. <laughs> You know, so we just need to smile at them and say, yes, you know, that's what this is. This is, you know, this is your penis. This is your clitoris. You know, that that's a special place, yeah. you know, and then smile and then change the diaper. I mean, no yeah. big deal. And that has to do a lot with our own anxiety as parents, right? And our yeah. own anxieties about our sexuality and being able to just talk about it in normal everyday terms, like right. almost by making it by not by by calling it. Uh, calling the penis by, I don't know what what do you call it, your bobo or your, I don't know what, wee what, what parents wee wee, <laughs> yeah, like it's almost making it foreign and almost making it something that we don't talk about like we talk about everything else. Yeah, and I think I mean I think parents are a lot better at calling a boy's penis a penis than they are about yeah, calling a girl's yes. genitals by their right names. Yeah, I mean I gave this talk once, and I give this talk a lot, and I you know, talk to college students and I talk to women's groups and, and sometimes mixed couples groups. And I often ask the women, how many of you had your genitals named by your mother? How many of you had your clitoris named and you knew the name of the specific sexual spot on your body? You know, hardly anyone ever raises their hand. And, and one woman kind of looked at me funny and she said, I mean, you know what I mean? Like my mom would have called it like Josephine or Susie or <laughs> <laughs> like, you, <laughs> you know, like it, yeah. how boys name their penises. <laughs> like, did my mother name my clitoris? Oh my God. You know, I just thought that was a hilarious <laughs> comment, but no, no. I mean, named it saying it was a clitoris, what which is, yeah. you know, the sexual universe for a little girl yeah. and how many parents do it. And like, you know, sometimes there's euphemisms or there's generalities. A lot of parents, call the genitals like that's your vagina well it's actually not their vagina the you know the 
the canal is the vagina mm. and, and the whole thing is the vulva. And they're like, oh, that just sounds so sexual. And mm. I'm like, well, that's what it's called. And yeah. I had friends who were um, had a baby girl and they were naming, you know, telling me what they were doing when they were giving her a bath. They said, you know, we wash the front bottom and the back bottom. And I said, oh, oh no, no. You're yeah, not going to call not it the, that. The front bottom. No, <laughs> no, you're going to call it by its right names. Yeah. And and I explained kind of why. And I mean, I think this brings us to about age two and three. You know, when yeah. the child is learning mastery over yeah. their genitals, right? They're you know they're toilet training. They're learning how to use the bathroom all on their own. And you know that to me should be long and slow. Like yeah. especially if parents cannot be anxious about. Well, my my kid got toilet trained faster yeah. than your kid or this brother or, you know, I mean, kids by and large are toilet trained by kindergarten. And I, I think parents should just relax and go, the process goes slow. Yeah. Because know. it actually develops sexual problems later on when you rush toilet training. Yeah. Well, and it seems like part of what we have to do as parents is a lot of what we're talking about is just relax about this whole process. Yeah. Name things, what they are, go slow, let it be continual breathe through this process, so to speak, is just take a deep breath and just allow this to happen naturally and in specific moments where we can reinforce positivity around our kids' sexuality seems to be a place to really start. And it sounds like it's almost starting from birth that we're, I, I that we're so. reinforcing a lot of the, uh, and, what we think about sex. Yeah. And I think your kids asking, you know, where babies came from at these tender little ages, it often does start with reproductive questions. I, I think that we should tell our children how they were made first, mm. you know, because children are made differently these days. And so we should talk to them specifically as parents about first how they were made and then oftentimes how intercourse works. I, I remember my uh, then, I think, four-year-old asked me, you know, how did the baby get into your tummy, Mommy? And I said, well, it's kind of like a puzzle. Remember how boys have special boy parts like a penis? Well, a woman has a special part called a vagina. And it's kind of like a puzzle. They fit together just like a puzzle. And it feels very nice. And, you know, and this is how parents make love and how they express love. And then that's how a baby is made. And they're Mm -hmm. like, oh, okay. Okay, I'm going to go play with some blocks now. Yeah, that's right. That's right. When it is natural to us, it is natural to them. And it fits into their world of play and look at that squirrel and let's, you know, let's go. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's all integrated in their mind. Yeah. As long as we let it be integrated and we don't get too embarrassed or anxious. I mean, you said we've had that conversation of protection. And I, I believe that in the early years, the parents are the protector. Hmm. We, we don't want to psychically burden a child with the need to protect themselves. Yeah. I mean, we can give messages like, I mean, I think we need to be very careful about who are their babysitters? Mm-hmm. Probably more than especially family members. Yeah. Because molestation more likely happens from somebody you know yeah. than from somebody you yeah, don't I believe know. It's, I believe it's 95% of yeah, somebody I mean, you know. It's crazy. There's a great resource, by the way, for parents about that, about how to talk to your kids. Oh, good. Tell um, us. Uh, it's called Darkness to Light. Um, they're uh-huh. an organization and they have some great resources on their website. I believe it's darkness, the yes. number two, light.org. I highly recommend there's some trainings you can find out to go to, but there's specific things because I think 
there's two directions that you go there. You want to talk to them about safe touch and about being able to talk to you about it. If somebody else does that, um, touches them in a, in a way that is inappropriate, but you also want, like you're saying to know that is one of the things that darkness to light talks about is that no alone time with an adult, um, right. and being able to talk specifically about that, then your conversation is able to kind of talk also. And I realize about, this about is pleasure. This is sexist, but by and large, the statistics show women Men. do not molest, yeah. you know, children. It's it's male, and I mean, there's a two percent kind of thing where a woman would be a molester. Yeah. So you know, just for me, because I knew that I always use female babysitters, mm. and I never even let my sons babysit. Not because I didn't trust my sons, I did, but simply because of this crazy world. And what if there was an mm-hmm. accusation? I just. You know, like what if the the boy was trying to help the child go to the bathroom and it got, you know, the child got it mixed up. I just never wanted that to happen. And I always also used girl babysitters. And I was very careful about it. You know, many times, unfortunately, we know that molestation passes generations. So the grandfather who molested the daughter is somehow or another, my God, babysitting the children. Still, yeah. You know, and and it's like either repression or, oh, well, he wouldn't do that to the babies. It's like, yeah, well, he did it to me. You know, I mean, so I think we have to wake up. We have to face what there was. The reality. And set really good boundaries around family, you know, if we know that that's a possibility. Yeah, and I think that's an important... That is part of a larger whole conversation of recognizing that sex is out there in the world. Our kids are going to learn about it. We're not going to be able to protect them from it. And so we have to intentionally step into it. And I think when we come back, I'd love to hear more about how to really unpack this gift for them in a way that's developmentally appropriate and that we can begin to really make this something that is positive for our kids um, that just, as we've talked about, becomes really integrated and a part of their life and yeah. it's a gift to yeah. them okay. rather than rather than a curse. Than just the fear. Yeah. Okay, well, you are listening to Foreplay Radio Sex Therapy with your host, Lori Watson, author of Wanting Sex Again, and my co-host, Dr. Adam Matthews, couples therapist. We'll be right back. Wanting Sex Again. How to Rediscover Desire and Heal a Sexless Marriage by Certified Sex Therapist Lori Watson. Each chapter is designed to fix one of the problems that cause low libido from early marriage through the childbearing years, even all the way through menopause. I've also had men read it and tell me that for them it was the most hopeful thing they read about resolving sexual problems. Look for Wanting Sex Again on Amazon.com. You can also talk to Lori Watson for therapy in person or via Skype. I offer couples counseling and sex therapy and I think about both aspects of the relationship, emotional intimacy and sexual technique and that combination together helps marriages be happy improve your sex and improve your relationship with awakening center for couples and intimacy find out more at awakenloveandsex.com and sign up for their next couples retreat weekend hosted by Lori watson awakenloveandsex.com awaken what's possible Welcome back to Foreplay Radio Sex Therapy with your host, Lori Watson, author of Wanting Sex Again, certified sex therapist, and with Dr. Adam Matthews, couples therapist. Today, we're talking about how to tell your kids about sex, and we're kind of taking a long conversation here, but right now, we've left off at age about two, three, and we're talking about mastery when children are mastering their 
toileting, functioning. And this is an age, I think, Adam, that parents get really twisted up because yeah. kids are now free from the diaper, and so they're starting to self-stimulate. And I get more questions than anything else. Oh, my gosh. You know, what do I do? They're starting to grab themselves. They won't stop playing with themselves. You know, hands are down their how, pants. Yeah, hands are down their pants, and yeah. they won't stop. They're doing it in the living room. What do I do? Yeah. And, you know, they tell me sometimes parents say, you know, I, I get real mad at them and uh, tell them to stop that. And my whole thing is this is very natural. They are discovering their genitals. It does feel good. It's not really sexual for them at this age. Right. It's about their body. Yeah, it's about exploration and discovery. Right, right. right. And and little girls actually can come to orgasm at that age. You mm. know, they can actually have orgasms, believe it or not, from the womb. Really? Yeah, through the just about the grave. Oh wow! Yeah, that that is a female capacity, which is phenomenal. Boys, I'm not, not going to lie, I'm a little jealous. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know there are a lot of good things about being female. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, I think what we want to do is is smile, say yes, that's your body, it feels so good, mm. you know. But it's something that you do in your own bed, everybody yeah. does that, and everybody does that in their own bed at night. Uh, we don't do that in the living room, so we redirect for privacy, but we don't necessarily say no. I mean, we can say, you know, it's not the appropriate time for that. Take your hands out of your pants. You know, I mean, mm. fortunately, my kids were always telling on each other, "Mom, you know, he's got his hands out of his pants again." You know, so it's always easy to just say, "Okay, you know, that's something you need to go in your own room for, or, or yeah. whatever." That's so. That's just giving it some context. It's not. Yeah. It's not saying stop it. You're, yeah. you know, stop it now. Or what are you doing? Or being shocked at it. It's just giving it context. And, and it's also saying, you know, giving a message. This feels good. Yeah. And it's your body. It belongs to you. Mm. You know, now when they're four and five, and they might be exposed more to stranger danger or to right. people coming over or, you know, they're going off to school. That's kind of when I might be saying adding in the protective measure. This is your body. It's only for you to touch. Or maybe a doctor, if, if they had a very good reason to look at you, or mommy and daddy when we're helping you with a rash or getting you cleaned up, yep. you know. But And no grown-up ever asked you to touch their private place. That's yep. really... Not a right thing to do. And if they ever did, you would tell mommy right away. You would tell daddy. Right. right? So we add in a protective message. But hear the tone in my voice. Mm. It's not full of dread and angst and fear. You know, it's information. And we do repeat that information a lot by... I think four or five. Well, that's how they, and that's how they learn. I think we have to repeat it. I think yeah. that's, that's one of the keys to me that I'm hearing a lot is that we have to be able to say it over and over again and not be, and be okay with it. But then adding that piece, not just the protective piece, but adding the piece that it is your body and that it is for you, especially at this stage. Yeah, I think so. You know, but I think that us still being very protective sure. and not giving that whole burden over to them that they have to protect themselves because there can just be, you know, a lot of dread. I still remember being four years old, seriously, and being afraid of the man at the park. I'd never seen the man at the park. Stranger danger. But I knew about the man at the park at four years old and I was terrified, you know, to go on the swings or whatever. My mother watched me like a hawk, Yeah. you know, but so, I mean, I was, she was right there and I still had this, anxiety about it because of the man at the park that did bad things to little girls. And, you know, it it was inappropriate because my mother was a really good watcher. But I think my mother was afraid 
you know, and so consequently, what we don't want is our children to grow up with anxiety. Yeah. We want them to learn proper brand. Yeah, boundaries. and that, that intention of parents is really good. It right? is. That intention is so good to protect our kids, and you want to protect them. We want to do it good. We just don't want to do it at the expense of healthy sexuality and healthy development for right. them. And it's such a fine balance. And I think we're going to err on one side or the other. Like mm-hmm. we're not going to do it perfectly. Right. But I think what I hear you saying is that we have to give it context and add in that component, do the protective piece, but add in that component of healthiness as we go. Yeah. I think, no, it's, we do the, the joy piece, I'm sorry. add yeah. in the protective there piece. You go. You know, so so that the so first goes, message, first. the first message is joy in their bodies, yes. and then starting to bit by bit give them information. Well, and we're also, you know, three and five is is definitely kind of the phallic stage when they do have a special curiosity mm-hmm. about their own bodies, about their parents' bodies. You know, they start to explore each other's bodies as children. You know, and again, you know, if you find your kids in in child sex play. You know, the message is, okay, everybody put their clothes on. We're going to go downstairs for a snack. Mm. And we say, you know, when we're, you're playing together, you need to keep your clothes on. And, yeah. you know, but every kid plays doctor. Every kid explores. And don't get hysterical about it. Just kind of redirect. I think that that's the important thing is just re- reinforce the boundaries of mm-hmm. keeping dressed. Yeah, you know, dressed. but not shaming them for their curiosity about each other's bodies. Yeah. You know, maybe now directing them, okay, this is definitely the time to bring out the books and show pictures of the opposite gender body or their friend's body. I mean, a lot of same-sex kids play sexually, sex play together because the reality is, is most kids are playing with the same-sex kid. Right. Most little girls are playing with little girls and little boys are playing with little boys. So at this, you know, boom, curiosity stage, they're just curious about other bodies. Yeah. And they're curious about their parents' bodies. And really about this time, four or five, that's about the age I suggest parents like button up a little bit. And for the most part, there's an innocence about it. And so it's really about our reaction to that when we when we discover what what they're doing and how they're playing. Yeah. Um, And so we regulating our own anxiety about it seems to be key there. I think so, too. And I I think, you know, it, it is an age, though, to start with privacy that. You know, they need to learn to knock on a closed door. They need to learn to not burst in on mommy and daddy taking a shower. They need to respect that. And, you know, you don't screech or something, but definitely drawing a towel around you because seeing naked bodies is so stimulating at that age. We just Mm kind of want to minimize that. We also need to give the children the idea that no is a legitimate answer. Mm -hmm. So that means when they when we're tickling them and they say, stop, stop, we actually do stop. Or when we're we're kissing all over them and loving on them, and they say no, I don't want that yeah. right now. Not being offended by that, but right. say respecting their no, exactly. uh, even even if it's a little bit painful because they don't want to cuddle with us or they don't want to hug right now. But making sure that we respect exactly. what they're doing, exactly, and and certainly, you know, no hitting and all of that. I mean, sure. I just think we need to teach our children that they can say no. And it, it will be respected by an adult. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily no to eating your peas, right. but no so. to things that are voluntary that we're maybe doing to them. And again, I'm talking about kissing on them, hugging on them, tickling them. Things that, you know, for whatever reason in that moment they don't want. I'm not talking about they get to say, no, I won't get dressed. Right. 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 Yeah. Okay. And that's, and that's a good distinction because that feels like 
a lot of times parents get in the habit of we have we say no a lot yes. right and or the kids say no a lot and then we have to say no you do have to eat your vegetables or you do have to get dressed or you can't wear your dress up shoes out everywhere we go right like i think there's things like that that we get in the habit of saying having to fight back against and so then that response becomes almost automatic. And so when kids are saying no to things like you're talking about, hugging, tickling, kissing, that we not get offended and say, you know, respect that and have a different response than we do when they say no to eating peas. Exactly. And I I think that you're right. I mean, sometimes, you know, your kid can go through that no stage and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, they say no to everything, you know, but by and large, a four-year-old is going to say, no, I, you know, I don't want to be kissed because I'm mad at you. But, you know, when you go to tuck them in at night, of course they want kisses and hugs and cuddles and all that stuff. And I definitely think the nighttime routine should be something soft, full of cuddling and kissing from the parents and affection. Mm -hmm. I mean, children need a lot of affection all the way through. Yeah. You know, we need to be comfortable with that. And, you know, even if they go through a stage where they you know, they can't be hugged, like maybe adolescents where Mm -hmm. they don't want to be kissed goodbye before they go to school. You know, still you can ruffle their hair or squeeze their shoulder or some way of touching that is acceptable. Or even ask. I think that's one of the things that we've started doing with my four-year-old is she wants to say, no, daddy, no kisses right Uh now. And I say, so, well, can I have a hug then? And yeah. and then of course she gives me a big squeeze and hug. Oh, right? so, you're uh, such a good daddy. Oh, it's, uh, <laughs> I, I hope so. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think asking them also is empowering as well for things like that because that gives them some element of control over what happens to their body. Mm-hmm. You know, and so as as a parent, I want to be affectionate with my kids, but I also want them to be able to say no or to ask to say, you know, can I give you a kiss right now? Um, or I, I really want to hug you. Can I hug you? Like, and that yeah. also just communicates that there's somebody that wants to do that. Right. Um, and so doing that, I think really like gives them some control, gives, empowers them and helps them later on to be able to say no when they need to say no. Yes. And yes. make that clear. And I think about six and eight, I think children are still sexual, but it kind of goes underground. We call mm. that latency where they don't seem to have as active of interest in it like they do at five. Yeah. Five is, it, is curiosity, you know, six, eight, not so much. Is this when boys have cooties, girls Excuse have cooties? Is this, is this that, that stage that we're talking about? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and they don't, they don't seem to want to talk about it, but this is something I said in a talk the other day and I terrified everybody. I said, eight is too late hmm. to tell your children about sex because the way the media is today, the way, you know, what they could see on a computer, maybe not yours. And God forbid, let's let's mention that as a protection, uh, right? Yeah, absolutely. We desperately need to put screens on our computers, screening software so that the children are not exposed to pornography. Mm-hmm. And the children should not be exposed to violence and and sex on television. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and so many kids programs, especially if you've got an eight-year-old watching television with a junior hire, right? Mm. I mean, the junior hire might be listening to high school television shows where they're talking about sex all over the place. Yeah, or things are hyper-sexualized in, right. in, in subtle ways, too, where that, that becomes something that introduces concepts way too early yeah. um, for kids. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, eight is too late is about, I mean, some parents were like, well, you know, I've got my kid in a 
Christian private school and they're yeah. not exposed to these things. Well, no, I would say, are. you know, actually those Christian private schools still, I mean, those kids, we don't know what's going on in their homes. And I think the issue is we want as a parent to be the first resource. We yeah. want to tell the story. This is the one of the greatest stories that we could ever tell our children. Right. You know, right. it's, it's a story about love and connection and excitement and yeah. desire. I mean, that's a great story. Oh, and yeah. we want to tell them. Yeah. And we want we want it to come from us. I think yeah. so. You know, because the, the messages that are coming from other places are we don't like you said we don't know they're going to be twisted. They could be repressive. They could be hypersexualized. You know, they could we, be wrong. They could be wrong. Yeah, just wrong information. And so, yeah, I think that's just really good of wanting it to be from us and wanting it to be from the story that we get to unpack for our kids. That's just that is. I'm coming around to your way of thinking of seeing it as just a a beautiful thing that we get to get to give to our kids. It's a great, exciting story. And I mean, I think, what do you tell your kids at eight? I mean, by eight, definitely you want to start talking about love and desire. You know, Mm. when, when people love each other, you know, they, they feel these really strong feelings for each other physically. They Mm. want to touch each other and, you know, they, they want to, to share that. I, you know, I started introducing the idea of respect, that this is something that, you know, people do when they love and respect each other. And, and I, I think I, by 10, I know I had told my oldest son, you know, all these ideas about, you know, girls really need respect and they, they like romance and, you know, something or another, but he, he's fed back to me. He said, you know, well, um, so Boys like the sex part and girls like the romance part. And I'm like, oh my no. gosh, I totally blew that. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. No, girls like the sex part too. And I remember him saying, they do? And I'm like, oh no, I way overkilled that. Yeah. You know, because obviously I want to give him the, the expectation that girls enjoy and love sex too. And yeah. we want to, you know, give our daughters that expectation too. Yeah. You know, so I mean, even people who are studying in this, you guys, we can do it wrong too. <laughs> You know, there's no right answer. There's no perfect way to do it. Everybody makes mistakes. The good thing is it's a long conversation. And so we're going to keep having that conversation. You're in a conversation with your son, and he's comfortable enough to reflect back what he's thinking about sex. And so yeah. then you're able to begin to balance that out and say, oh, no, I unintentionally I sent gave you this the wrong message. idea here. Yeah, and so then you can balance it out. But that continual conversation that you started weaving in them from a very early age allowed that kind of correction to take place um, that wouldn't have been there otherwise if it was just a one-off conversation. Right. And and I think by eight, you know, that's an opportunity to add your context as a parent. Mm. When do you believe sex should happen? You know, is it, you know, just with marriage or is it, you know, when they grow up and go to college? And I mean, my sense is we, we want to push out the sexual experience until this is my own idea until the self is formed and mm-hmm. i kind of believe that in high school it's not likely that the self is formed yet because what happens is when when teenagers love each other and we're getting there um you know that it can be integrated as something good but i think that overall the self is not formed so at 8 what i'm telling my children is this is something that adults yeah do yeah. You know, or this is something that mommy and mommies and daddies do, you know, with each other to express love. So that it's pushing that framework way out, even though their culture is pushing them right 
yeah. for it to be a teen for experience. It to be sooner. I think I want to underscore something you said there too, because I know we're going to have a lot of people have that. Everybody has a different idea about when sex quote unquote should happen. And yes. I think that as a parent, you get to introduce whatever your that idea. context is and that idea to your kids. And so this is when you're saying in that kind of eight-year-old range that you get to begin to introduce that and that get, begins to get to form and tell them why you think that's appropriate, why that's a good... A better uh, way. A better way. Yeah. Sure. And so sure. so I think that that's, I think that's really important. Right. And, and, you know, I think that like from nine to 12... Certainly at that age, you know, but really by six and eight, they need the good touch, bad touch talk. And by that age, I mean, they need to know the slang words. They need to know that they can ask us all the questions. Which means we need to know the slang words. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah, that would be good. That would be good to know that. I think parents worry, though. They really worry. Mm -hmm. If I tell my kids about this, are they going to want to go experiment? Are they going to be promiscuous? And I got to say, the research shows, the statistics show that if mothers, this is particularly for mothers and daughters, if mothers tell their daughters about sexuality and the word comes from the mother, uh, the daughters are less likely to be promiscuous because there's an open conversation. I mean, like the actual word. Not the the actual word, but the 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 word about sex, the conversation about sex, sex. sex. you know, comes from the mother. I think what it's saying is obviously if a mother can talk to a daughter about it, she has a relationship with her, Mm. right? And oftentimes kids who are promiscuous are looking for something that is missing at home, right? They are looking Mm. for love and bonding and attention, you know, uh, sexual pleasure certainly. But what we want to do is have the conversation early our way our sense of it, good information, the right words, decoding what's out there. And that kind of relationship is a relationship where kids are growing up in safe and secure and probably not necessarily going to need early, early sex. Yeah. So, Lori, if we think about kind of like the the main idea of what we're talking about today, what are your kind of like takeaways, a couple of takeaways from overall from our conversation today that you would want people to know? Okay, good. Okay. So number one, I think, you know, joy comes before protection. Yeah. You know, that's that's the big one. one. Uh, number two, I think give them their body as a gift. Yeah. You know, that th- this is their body to be enjoyed by them, and it, that's a great thing. And number three, it's it's one of the greatest stories we have to tell. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. I think the only thing I would add to that, as adults, we have to deal with our own anxiety about talking about sex. Yes. If we cannot talk about it, our kids are not going to be able to talk about it, and they're not going to talk to us about it. And, right. And so that's what that's one of the things that I'm taking away as well is that, our own anxiety has to be dealt with and we have to kind of deal with that so that we can talk appropriately to our kids in the ways that you just described. And one last thought, as you said that, I think is that, you know, if the kid is nine and 10 and hasn't asked any questions, they already know something and it's too, you know, Uh, you need to introduce the subject. Yeah. If they don't ever introduce it, you're the parent. It's your responsibility to bring up the greatest story that you have to tell them about their bodies. Yeah. Because you're not saying that it's too late and we should just forget it. No, my goodness. If we haven't done it it by eight. That's kind of the marker that if it's eight and they haven't asked any questions. Get in there. Get in there. Yeah. Start talking about it. Exactly. It's been such a fun conversation. I know. Okay. And we're going to talk. Our next podcast is going to be about teens and sex. So listen up and that'll be coming next. This is Foreplay Radio Sex Therapy with sex therapist Lori Watson and Dr. Adam Matthews. Thanks so much for listening. Find us on the web, on Twitter and Facebook, and foreplayrst.com. 
Hey, help us stay on top here at Foreplay. We'd love it if you would subscribe and share it with your friends. And please take one sec and rate and review us. Thanks so much.